being Memorial Day, um, it always touches something deep in my heart. I remember as a young man, uh, I grew up in a Marine Corps family. And so I know a lot of young people that grew up that way. It was difficult. It was difficult moving every year and a half, two and a half years, whatever. I enjoyed it. I don't know where that came from, but it was always hard to leave friends, but it was always something great to make new friends and to go to new places. But what began to birth in me, even way back when I was a little kid and all, all the way up through into high school and, and beyond, was this desire to serve, this desire to, to um, lay my life down for something, lay my life down for this country. You know, and, and, and I had many friends that went into the military, and, and I, I wanted to. In fact, I, I had I'd probably told this story before, but um, I was in the recruiter's office many times. And uh, my father, he, being a 20-year Marine Corps vet, he, he had me promise him one thing, that I would finish college first. He wanted me to finish college first because he, he knew what I wanted. And, and he also had a better idea of God's will for my life than I did at that time. Bless you. But, uh, but so, so I did. I made that promise, and, and, and he, he was very wise in understanding that by the time I finished college, I would have more interest in girls than in the military, and one specific girl in particular. But... Uh, um, but then I met Alexis. And then life has been no, I'm kidding. No, no. But what was interesting to me is that feeling inside of wanting to lay your life down for something never left. Never left. My, my interest and understanding God's will changed by the time I, I graduated. But the feeling of wanting to lay my life down for this country never left. And, and even to today, I mean, now they wouldn't take me because I'm just a little older. All right, I'm still in good shape, though. All right, maybe not the shape they need. <laughs> But that feeling never left. That idea of being part of something bigger than yourself. That idea of, of fighting for something more profound than anything else never left. And what has been awesome is what God had replaced that with. See, my whole life I felt like he trained me to be a warrior. Trained me to be in a battle. What I didn't realize is by not going into the military, that did not end that training. Because he has trained us to be in a battle. But it's a battle we have to recognize. It's a battle we have to understand that we're a part of, whether you like it or not. So see, now I get to be on the front lines of fighting for something that I believe in, and that I'm willing to my, lay my life down for. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you realize you're part of that as well. 
Because if you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you have been born into a family of warriors. Whether you take that on or not is up to you, but you have been gifted with that. It's important to understand that. And I just thank God every day. It, you, you may, it, it may make sense now why so many of my metaphors are about the army <laughs> or the military, right? Because it goes so hand in hand with what God is doing in the bride and with what he's doing on this earth. And, and, and I want to uh, just reiterate what Alexis said about praying for this country. Because as we've said before, and if you were on the prayer calls at all during the 100 days, or even now, we do them Monday and Wednesdays, you would know that prayer is the front line of that warfare. Right? So when we engage in that warfare, it means we're engaging in prayer. It means we're engaging in who God is building us to be, to prepare us to take our part in his calling. So you have to look around. Imagine this was a team at war, right? Each one plays a play, plays their own place in that team. So it's important that we recognize that. And it, that works on a small scale, but it also works on a large scale. Ignition has a part to play in the overall body of Christ, in the overall calling. And so this, this week, as, as I was pressing in to Jesus and just asking him, Lord, what do you want? And, and I was going through several different books and just reading and, and just ingesting what he had. He just kept highlighting to me, and, and, and he's been doing this for weeks now. It may, may be a, a representation of what you're hearing on Sunday mornings. But he keeps highlighting to me this idea of walking worthy. Walking worthy in your calling. See, to be able to walk worthy in your calling, one, you have to understand you have a calling. You have to understand what that calling is. That you are called to something higher than yourself. And so the idea of walking worthy in that calling, I think is what he wants us to get our arms wrapped around. Not just us individually, not just me, but us as a church, us as ignition, us as the bride. He wants us to understand what does it mean to walk worthy, to walk prepared. You know, using the military uh, scenario again, you can imagine if you went to war and you were not prepared to go to war. You know, imagine all the, you, President Reagan, he, he talked about all those who died, they were, so, they were so young, they were young men, 18, 19 years old. Imagine if they were taken right from their lives, handed a gun, and taken into battle. How effective would they be? They wouldn't be effective. Instead, they were taken from that, and they were placed into training. See, it's no different with the children of God. When we accept Jesus Christ, we are placed into a plan. But that plan requires training. That plan requires, sometimes that plan required a lifetime of training. God did not call me into ministry until I was 50 years old. 
You can look at that, and, and at the beginning I did, that, that perhaps I didn't listen to him early on. But then I can also look at that and see, he needed 50 years to prepare me for my calling. It takes time to prepare, because sometimes we don't realize what that means. And that goes back to what I'm talking about, about this walking worthy. Sometimes we don't understand what it really means to prepare for our walk with Christ. To literally prepare for heaven. Think about that. Are you prepared for heaven? See, the quick answer is, well, yeah, I'm saved. I'll go there, I'll be there. I'm prepared. But see, what makes you think your relationship with Jesus Christ, the closeness of who you are with Jesus Christ, what makes you think that will automatically change just because of death and born into, into new life? See, your relationship with him does not change. When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, your destination changes. That's what he paid for. That's what he bought and purchased with his blood. Your destination changes. But for all of you who have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you can look back and see the relationship does not change without effort. The relationship doesn't change without us drawing close to him. He, the Bible says as we take a step toward him, as we draw toward him, he will draw toward us. See, that's beyond salvation. That's beyond accepting Christ into our hearts. That is what brings us to a place of walking worthy of our calling. Walking in a place where we understand his will and we abide by his plan. Each step. And, and it's, it's not a generic thing. <laughs> It's a very detailed, very specific thing. So he, he's been highlighting this to me for weeks. Understanding that, that we've got to see it. We've got to understand it. We've got to know it. So I, I was asking him about this morning. Well, Lord, Lord okay, do you, do you want me to talk about that again? And he just took me to the book of Colossians. And he said, I want you to do something different. He said, we're just going to read Colossians. And I'll stop you when I want to stop you. And we'll discuss this plan as we get there. So to be honest with you, I don't know if this morning is about going through the whole book or if this will become a series. <laughs> you know as much as I do. But I can tell you, in this book is the plan. In this book is the understanding of walking worthy in your calling. Of being ready for what he has called you to do and to be a part of. So let's just start right at the beginning. This is a book that Paul wrote. And we're going to start right at verse 1 of Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now understand, Paul had never been there before. Okay? And, and as we read a little bit later, you're going you're gonna to see this church was started and founded by somebody else. And so Paul is reaching out to them for the first time. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So even if he had not met them, he engages in warfare for them. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have had for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Let's let's go back a second. I want you to understand the beginning. The beginning of understanding to walk worthy is listed just in those verses. When we accept Jesus Christ, there's something that happens in us. There's a love that is birthed in us that if we put it into this good soil, will grow. Our love for other people, our love for Jesus Christ, our love for the Father, our love for the Holy Spirit, this will grow, but it takes our effort to grow. But when we're saved, we are introduced to that love. It's because that love is what saved us in the first place. That love is who Jesus Christ is. So let's look back at this. Verse 4, since we heard of your faith, Paul and Timothy are talking about the fact that they heard about Colossae, they heard about the faith of these people, and he said, your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have had for all the saints. The next phrase is key. Verse 5, because of the hope. Laid up for you in heaven. Do you recognize that love came from hope? That love that permeated their lives, that that Paul and Timothy heard of from far away. They had never met these people. They heard about this love. And he said that love was birthed there. That love was permeating their lives simply because they had hope in Jesus Christ. They had hope in what is to come. They had hope in the next life that we know we can spend with him. But not just that. Because that's an easy thing to hope for and not grow beyond that. See, they had hope in their life with Christ here on earth. Do you have hope in your life with Christ? Do you look at your life through the lens of hope in relationship with him? That, that's huge, and we've got to get that. Because, see, that's the reason for love. If we don't have hope in this life for relationship with Jesus Christ, in this life, and our hope is only to be with him one day, 
then there's something that will lack. And that's love. Because, see, you see no reason to be here. You see no reason outside of just, just, you know, being right before God, being obedient. You see no reason to really invest in other people. Or perhaps even to get through life yourself. There's no reason to really love beyond yourself. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about loving people you would not normally love. I'm talking about putting yourself out for people you would not normally put yourself out for. All of us love the people we want to love. Right? People that, that we connect with or, or, you know, could be family, could be friends, whatever. We enjoy them. We connect with them. They're our friends. It's easy to love them. But see, that's not the love that attracted Paul and Timothy to this church at Colossae that they had heard of. What was attractive to them was the love that they had for people, period. Love that they had for those who were not saved. Love that they had for those who were saved that they didn't know. That is the hope of relationship in Jesus Christ. See, if I have a hope in him right now, I I have an automatic hope that I will be with him one day in heaven. I believe it. The Bible says it. I'm counting on it. I'm holding him to it. It's absolute truth. But then I have another hope. See, that hope doesn't just start when I die. Boy, if that were the case, you'd have people wanting to die all the time. Paul said, I would rather be with Christ than in this body. But it was for the love that he had for everyone else that he stays. See, that's the second hope. That's the real hope that gets us engulfed into this life to grow relationship with Jesus Christ. We have a hope in relationship with Christ. And I could tell you this from, from the beginning to where I'm at now, there is no end to that growth. So see, we have a hope in something that has no end. And again, I'm not talking about with him in heaven. I'm talking about being with him right here, right now, in relationship. That hope is what makes a difference. That hope is what produces love. That love is what attracts others. It's what attracted Paul and Timothy. It's what attracted other people that didn't know Jesus Christ. Are you attractive to other people? Right? And I'm not talking about your looks. Right? Some of us would be in trouble. I'm talking about, are you attractive because people see the love produced by the hope that you have in Jesus? See, Jesus is not physically able to lock arms with me. I have to receive that by faith. That's hope. Right? Faith is hope in what you know to be true. But you can't see it. That's faith. So by locking arms with him, with the hope that I have in relationship with him, it produces this love. 
that then bubbles over outside of myself. The more that I fall in love with him in relationship, the more others will see that love simply because of hope. Hope. Do you have hope in your life? Are you even paying attention to it? See, we can miss it if we don't watch. We can get so busy in this life, and I think Satan's so good at this, to bring distraction, to bring problems, to bring this, to bring that. To literally take the hope out of this daily life. Because then it just becomes a daily struggle. And we've all been there. Okay, no, nobody is, is set aside to not have to go through that. We all go through it. That's why it's warfare. But do you go back to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? The hope of that relationship that can be cemented right now while we're living and breathing on this earth. See, that's, that's the beginning. That's the beginning of that relationship is recognizing that there can be one. And, and that it's, it's real. It's as real. My relationship with Jesus Christ is as real, if not more real, than the relationship I have with Alexis. Right? We have to understand that. We have to understand that he is right there for us, giving us opportunity to have relationship with him. So that hope in that relationship is what produces the love. It's important to understand that. That's the first point. That's why we focus on that relationship, because it will produce the love. Uh, where were we? Verse 7? Did I finish 7? Yeah, I think I... Well, verse 8 is kind of part of 7, but so let me, let me start at 7 again because it talks about love in a little bit different way. Verse 7, Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Okay, so that's different. That's a further quantifying statement of what that love is. It's not just that we just love everybody. See, back in the 60s, they just loved everybody, right? It was the age of love. It was all the hippie thing, the hippie movement. I'm glad I wasn't older then. I probably would have joined that. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that, that came through that movement, though, that a little older than me. That's not the love it's talking about. Love in the Spirit. Love permeated, if you notice in your Bible there, the S for Spirit is capitalized. It's because it's talking about the Spirit of Christ. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. So what was made known to Paul and Timothy was their love operating in the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit permeated in love the entire church. And each individual. Verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Okay, there, there's too much there. We've got to stop. Let's go back to 9. And so from the day we heard, the moment that Paul and Timothy were made aware of the effectiveness of this group, it drew in other warriors. Do you understand what happened there? Their love for Jesus Christ, their desire for relationship with Him, brought in reinforcements for the calling in their lives. See, they didn't know Paul and Timothy. I mean, they probably heard of them, but they, they didn't know them. They certainly didn't know they were praying for them every day, praying for them consistently. See, that was God looking at the relationship that was building in Colossae and saying, we need to bring in other warriors for this. Because something special is being built here. See, it's no different for ignition. It's no different for us here. If we love in the Spirit, we love in relationship from that hope we have in Jesus Christ, it will draw in other warriors to fight alongside us, to fight on our behalf. That's what intercession is. We, many times, have been drawn into warring for others outside of ignition. I mean, just get on the prayer call once or twice. You'll see how many people we pray for that are not part of this local body. And it's because of the Lord drawing us to them from that hope produced in love that makes us go to war for them. So look at that individually. It's hard to do life by yourself. No, let me scratch that. It's impossible to do life by yourself. And so if you want to attract that help, the help that Jesus Christ intends for you, it's this love, this love produced by hope that draws in the partnerships. Not just Jesus Christ. See, when you're born into Jesus Christ, you're born into a family. And it's not just Jesus that we are given this relationship with. He is our seal. He is our covering. The Holy Spirit is sent to seal our spirit, guaranteeing us the promise. But see, the relationship with Jesus Christ is not just with Jesus Christ. It's with his bride. It's with others who have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. And this is honestly what breaks my heart more than anything else. Because you look at the church today. You look at the church, and when I say the church, I'm talking about those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts. They are the church. They are the body of Christ. They are the bride. And you look at the bride, and it, it's so fractured. It's so fractured for so many different reasons. It's fractured because, well, they believe something a little bit different than I do. So I, I, I can't quite have this fellowship with them. 
You know, that, that's how I was growing up. Those who believed in the gifts, well, okay, they were alien to me. They were different. And, and by the way, many are different. <laughs> All right? But that put a dividing wall there. It wasn't, hey, you know Jesus Christ as Savior. Yes, okay, you're my brother. You're my sister. Let, let's work together in this. No, it was put up the dividing walls. And see, Satan has been so good in this warfare, putting up dividing walls for so many years. If you look at church history, he actually is so good that it became, just after the first couple hundred years of the church, he started having this incredible effectiveness in dividing the church. It's so sad. And then throughout history of church, you see these pockets of revival. You see these times of opportunity. You know, the Reformation came, and that was a pocket of opportunity for the church, the bride, to come together around one thing, and that was the grace. The grace of Jesus Christ, who gave us everything for free. Who died for free. That perfect gift of being with him in heaven, we did not have to pay for. The Reformation brought that understanding on a larger scale. But you notice it didn't really do anything for the church in terms of unity. I've talked many times about Revelation 3.9. There's a pretty big gap between where the church is today and Revelation 3.9 coming to pass. That has to come to pass before the rapture, before Jesus comes and meets us in the clouds. There's a pretty big gap there. And what is that gap? That gap are those dividing walls. Now what saddens me is, you know, I I, I can be as controlling as anybody else, and it would be awesome if I could just control their decision. (laughs) Right? I remember being in church leadership before, and and, and I used to go to the, I, I won't even say what it was, because some of the people watching might know what it is, but um, I would go to these pastoral meetings where it's maybe 30, 35, 40 pastors, and they would all, you know, they'd meet once a month, and it would, it would all be about what's going on in their churches, and every one of them, and, and I'm telling you, I, I talked to many of them, every one of them had the same feeling. We need to work together. Now, now, by the way, this group was a group that actually did believe the same things. Okay, so I'm not even talking out of your own, you know, roundabout belief system. This group pretty much did believe in, all th- in, in the same things together. But when it came right down to actually working together, actually doing something together, it fell apart. Because each one wanted to control that. Each one wanted it to, well, yeah, let's do this and we we can have it here. And I used to think at the time, why can't there be somebody, why can't there be a pastor that would step forward and say, hey, let's do this and why don't we do it at your church? Why don't we go into your neighborhood and why don't we do this event to help you build your church, to build your local family? Without having anything for us. 
Where is that today? It doesn't exist. Why? I'm convinced for one reason, and one reason only, and that's money. Drives me nuts. Drives me nuts. And, and really, I guess if you go back and peel that money layer back, it really deals more with faith. Because, see, church has become so much like a business because we figured out ways to produce the income that we need to do the ministry we need to do. If we have that, we, we know if we have this program here, it's going to bring in this much that we can fund this much. I mean, we, we've actually gotten very good at that. You know, in, in the way I grew up, they were awesome at that. That's, I mean, that's like what they do. They're good at it. But the problem is we began to really rely on it. And God never intended that. He, he gives us the abilities. I'm not saying programs are bad. I'm not saying these things are bad. These thought processes of, of producing in business is bad. I'm saying relying on it is bad. Because we took that hope and we just grabbed a little piece of it and wanted to control it for ourselves. See, God's got to break that before Revelation 3, 9 will ever happen. God's got to break that for us to work together. So he says, filled with the knowledge of his will with in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, worthy of what you're called to do, worthy of that place that you're supposed to fill, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then verse 11, we read it, but I want to read it again. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. See, God doesn't just leave you alone. He doesn't just say, your destination has changed. I offer you this relationship, you know, this hope that you can, you can be my best friend. Good luck. He doesn't do that. He said, as you draw to me, I got something else for you. As you draw to me in relationship, as we become friends, I got this power. I have this power. By the way, it's the same power that the Father used to raise me from the dead. Okay, think about that. The same power the Father used to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, I've got this for you. I've got this for you. This, this is what comes along with relationship with me. See, it's the Holy Spirit, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, verse 11, being strengthened with all power, not according to us, but according to his glorious might. It's his power, not our power, not what we can do in ourselves, not the programs that we could think of, not the plans that we can decide that because historically they work, we'll do it this way. He said, I want to give you the power, all power, according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. And boy, those next two words are tough. Because, see, we love to think 
that as we draw close to him, we're given power, and boom, it's all good. Oh, I'm there, I'm arrived. It's all good. I'm ready. Take me. We're good. And then he says, whoa, 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 whoa. There's two things that I need to develop in you that will produce the joy. And it's two very ugly words. Patience and endurance. (laughs) If, If God could just take two words out of the word of God, it would be awesome. Patience and endurance. You look at every called person in the word of God. And what happens when they're being trained is they get a glimpse of what God wants, right? And then he says, okay, now we're going to see if it really means something to you. Because what you think will take a day is going to take 25 years. Imagine what Abraham would have thought if God would have told him the timetable of what his promise was. You know what, it's, you're going to have a son who will have, your lineage will be greater than all the stars in the sky, greater than all the sand in, in, on, on the seashore. Oh, but by, by the way, you're not even going to see any of that for 25 years. And most of it won't happen until after you die. Isn't it funny how God left that part out? Because I wonder how we, we would react. No, see... He knows that in our relationship with him, the one thing that has to be produced is hope. If I knew that Jesus for sure, absolutely was going to uh, do what he promised in my life in 30 days, what kind of hope would that really produce? It wouldn't really produce faith. It might might produce some for 30 days, but it would not produce a level of faith knowing the promise without seeing it come to pass. That's huge. See, God has promised many things to ignition. He's, He's promised many things to us individually that have not come true yet. He's not told us timing of some of these things. See, he needs to produce the hope in his promise. Why? Because it produces those two ugly words, patience and endurance. Because when we are patient and we do endure, then it's not about the prize anymore. Are you working for the prize? Are you working in relationship to be with Jesus? See, if if all we're doing is working for a prize, it's no different than teaching a rat to go after the cheese. You could teach anybody to do something when they get a prize for doing it. But what if the prize is Jesus Christ? What if the prize is relationship with him that requires faith and hope to make that work? See, what he has to do to teach us relationship in him is he has to produce that hope. Because it's the hope that produces love. It's the love that produces faith. See, it's those things in measure of time that produce patience and endurance. 
And when patience and endurance have their perfect work, then that relationship is there regardless of the prize. Why? Because the prize is Jesus. The prize is that relationship. And when he gets us to that point, then he does his work. He does his work in his timing. Whatever he wants to do. Verse 12. So in ending verse 11, for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Highlight those first two words in your Bible. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Or in light, I'm sorry. What is that qualification? That qualification is simply that you said yes. And by the way, that qualification has many levels. Because, see, there are many things that he does in relationship with us. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, what does that qualify us for? Heaven, right? To be with him. That disqualifies us for hell. And qualifies us for heaven. But to walk in his light, to walk in a manner worthy of his calling, qualifies us for other things. Qualifies us for that intimacy of relationship with Jesus. See, it's it's this continuous walk. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, that qualification that the father did, it didn't just save us from damnation. It didn't just save us from hell. But it qualified us for relationship. See, don't be confused. Jesus did not die on the cross for the purpose of you going to heaven versus hell. He died on the cross for the purpose of relationship with him. He wants relationship with you. And see, here on earth, we have an opportunity to grow in relationship with him at an exponential rate because of something that will not be required in heaven, and that's faith. See, when you're in heaven, the Bible says you, you, you don't need faith to know who he is and, and, and to see him because you will see him. You will be with him. In physical form, we will be with Jesus Christ when we're in heaven. There's no faith required at that point. But if faith is what's required to build our relationship with Jesus Christ, then our greatest opportunity to build relationship with him is right here, right now, while we're alive on this earth. Because we do it in faith. We draw close to him in faith. And, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. Um, you can listen to a series I did I think it was about a year ago, but um, just on the millennium. And what does it mean in terms of rewards and all that stuff? And we talked about how relationship does not change 
just by going from this life to the next. But what does change is how you draw close in relationship. Right? It changes. Simply because there is no more faith required. So our opportunity here on earth is to grow in relationship to him through faith. You have an opportunity before you that's extraordinary. I mean, it is unfathomable. Did I say that right? Yeah. It's really unbelievable. Do we take advantage of it? Or do we get locked into the problems? Or do we get locked into the excitement? See, I could say this now because it's not football season. What happens when football season starts and you're just sold out for football and you love football season and is that a distraction that takes you away from your relationship with him? What about the things you have in your own life? Young people, we have several that graduated that are moving on either to college or moving on to the workplace. There's a lot going on for you guys. That is an awful lot of opportunity to be distracted. To be taken away from the eyesight of drawing close to Jesus Christ in relationship. And it doesn't just stop there. I mean, it, it happens throughout our lives. Every point of your life, you will come to a place where you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to include Jesus in what you're doing or not. And it is a choice. Because you don't have to. Heaven is yours regardless. See, that's what Jesus did see see to. Because it was all him. He said, it is finished. It didn't require anything of you except accepting him into your heart. But he, he said, that, see, that's not the prize. He said, that, that's, that's getting you in the door. That's, that's where you get to be. The, but the prize is relationship with Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see that in your life right now? That there is nothing more important. See, until the bride gets that, beyond those walls that divide us in the body of Christ, Until we get that, we're not going to be able to be unified in Christ. And see, it's it's easier to unify as as a as a single group, right? But it's a little tougher when you try to unify with another church. You know, and and we've tried that. And we continue to try that. I, I know of a youth group that we went out and we engaged with at their place to try and help build them up. And it went great. Until it didn't. Until there was something that they didn't believe that we believe. And and it caused a divide. You know, that's a very real, real warfare. But you can't let that stop you. You can't let that discourage you. And we didn't. And we don't. And you can ask Peter about it because we still have contact with those young people. Perhaps not their leadership. We're working on that one. But see, God wants us 
break down those walls. And the only way we can do that, the only way we can be ready for his coming, ready the bride, is relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we know that, we then become warriors for others. Just like Paul and Timothy did in praying for the church at Colossae. We, as we draw close to Jesus Christ in relationship, we become warriors for others in prayer. We go before the throne and we come in agreement together for those who need our intervention. See, that is unity. That is what will bring the bride together. That is what will defeat the enemy. And mark my words, this is what we're called to as ignition. I knew right off the bat, we're not, I mean, we'll, we'll see many, many, we'll see hundreds of thousands and millions of people saved, but that's not our calling. Our calling is to bring the bride together. All seven places that God has us going in the world, it's for the purpose of uniting the bride. You can't do that without relationship. That's why I said if you're part of this church right now at this stage, you are being called to relationship with Jesus Christ at a level that is going to go well beyond you. And it's literally uniting the bride. Okay, so not only did we not get done with Colossians, we didn't even come close to finishing chapter 1. So you know what? I believe we will continue this next week. But as we get into this book, recognize, recognize that there's an expectation. When you received this incredible free gift, there also came expectation with that to have relationship with Jesus. See, that's his prize. You ever think of that? You ever think that you are his prize? Our prize is to get to be with him and not go to hell. His prize is relationship with us. That's, that's pretty amazing. He loves you so much that he died for you, not so you could just occupy a better place, but so that he can have relationship with you. And the Father and the Holy Spirit have relationship with you. That's what he died for. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We praise you. You are Almighty God. and We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you that you work in our lives. We thank you, God, that, that you begin to open eyes. And, and I, I've seen it. I've seen it over the last two and a half years. I see it in these individuals. I see it in my own life, my own family. That you are opening our eyes to what it means to have relationship with you. What it means to walk worthy of the calling and I don't mean the calling that we have in life. I'm talking about the calling that we have to be in relationship to you. What you do with our lives is up to you. Our calling is to draw to you. And I see it in these people, God. I thank you. I thank you for their submission to your will. I thank you for their desire to just embrace you in full faith 
We give you our yes. We give you our full faith, God, because we want, yes, we want what you have for us. We want the building. We want these seven places. We want all these things, God. But I am here to declare we want you. We want you more than anything. If we don't get any of those things and we get relationship with you and intimacy with you, then we are complete. And I thank you. So we give you our yes as a church. I give you my yes individually. Whatever you want, God. My life is yours. You already bought it. I don't give you anything that is not already yours. But I do stand in agreement that I want your will. I want your will for my life as you've planned it in my book. I want your will for this church as you have planned it in heaven. I want your will for these people as you have planned it in their books. God, open our eyes to your plans. Open our eyes to produce that hope that then produces that love. Because Jesus, we have hope in you. And we love you. We love you so much. And we just ask you to work according to your will. And we give you our yes. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm excited about this series um, that is now just become, because I knew it would be. Um, I, I wanted to just say something, though. It, some of you might be thinking... I don't really know anybody that I don't get along with from another church. That, that may be the case. That's not what this series is going to be about. You know, when I think about why there are differences and why people don't fellowship, it really boils down to one thing. When we're not related with God, it just shows you how broken people's relationships are with God himself as to why we don't get along. Because whether you're talking about an organization or an individual... When you, when I, am not rightly related to God, it's a little harder to get along with other people, isn't it? If you are perfectly and in right standing with God and you are walking in the Spirit, it's very difficult to not get along with other people that disagree with you. And the thing that's interesting is we are in a society now where that is more, more highlighted and heightened than ever before. Everybody's fighting about everything. You see it in the news. You can't disagree with somebody politically, and, you know, there's a riot that breaks out. And it's really important that we understand how, what our relationship is with one another. I was, I was kind of thinking, you know, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church. And it used to be the, the feeling of opposites attract, you know. Well, that's, you know, well, if you're opposites, you attract. And yet, in our society today, if you're opposites, I mean, you, you can barely be alike and get along but opposites truly don't. And, and I often remind people that um, whether it be that they just left a church, and I know lots of people, and somebody called me last week, and they're about to leave a church and to go down the road, and they don't live in this area, go down the road to another church, and because you know, there's a, a scandal that happened within their church, and they're not, they're not handling it right, so they're thinking they maybe need to go to another church. And it just gets to be chaotic where 
you know, and, and I was reminding them that, you know, when I look at the differences in us, we can get along beautifully and yet still be very passionate about very different things. Um, it doesn't mean you're compromising yourself. Um, I, he jokingly said he's in enough great shape to be in the military. Easy girl. Um, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot are, you know, being in shape, fitness level, things like that. And we may be opposite in that, in some of our passions and in our priorities and things like that. But that doesn't mean, I mean, we can give you a long list of where we're very different. And yet, we're just so you know, such close friends and, and so attractive to one another. It's, it's interesting with all the differences, there are enough foundational similarities that we get along. And that's the body of Christ. When you have your foundations yes. in, in sync, then you can get along, even though there are some, you know, external perimeter things that are not. And, and so I just hope that you'll um, stay with this series and, and pay attention to this because it's, it's so important when you are, and I want to encourage you, whether it be a family member, whether it be a lost loved one that's not a believer, when you are walking right with God, you'll notice you're less offended, less upset, less insecure with a comment made, even if somebody judges you for your faith. When you are walking in the Spirit of God and feeling the love of God and your anchor and foundation is in Him, they can judge away and you respond with love. And it's pretty difficult for an argument to continue when you respond in love. At least it'll be one-sided for until it fizzles. Whereas when you respond in the flesh and you're not walking with the Lord, it, it makes a difference. So that's really ultimately, when he's talking about relationships, that's what will make people get along. And churches begin to work with one another and not have to control. Because they won't be threatened, they won't be insecure, they won't be offended. Um, they may have some serious discussions about their differences, but they can be resolved in love. And I will tell you, as, as the, all the time around this man, wife of, of who just preached this message, for years, uh, he, it's been now schedule-wise and different reasons, he hasn't been golfing as much as he would like to, but his golfing buddies couldn't be more different from unbelievers, racially different, politically different, and they had the best time playing golf together. And I always thought that was such a practical, walking, living example of the fact that he could get along and find that commonality because of love. He had a genuine love for these guys who couldn't be more different than him in every way. And so, yes, it is possible. But you know how that happened? That happened as the Lord drew Greg closer to himself. And as he was rightly related and had the love of Jesus in him, then he was able to get along. And these were people that, in some cases, weren't even believers and completely different. So that's really what it's about, is relationship. Now, having said that, the only announcement that I want to make is the prayer call. Uh, he mentioned